Welcome to After Further Review. Mark Ferreira, John Pelkey, another Friday, fantastic, fun, family <laughs> football edition. It makes me laugh every time. I know it, it's coming, I and it still makes me laugh every and, time. I know, because it's because it's such a trope that and, local and right. radio does. It's all over radio and, and television. You know, everybody, yeah, it's fantastic Friday football. Right. Hey. So it's just so easy to make fun of because it's so ubiquitous and silly. Right. Uh, what is not ubiquitous and silly is Derek Abbott, who joins us. And uh, Derek, we love to have you here. Thanks for coming. Uh, but before we before we get going, we have we have a very important announcement to make, and that is for the last eight months or whatever that's been that we've been on the show, we've uh, you know dropped three, four, five references per show, saying that we will never work in our chosen field again. Well, that has come to an end, my friends. John Pelkey, I can't. I'm not allowed to talk about this. Oh, you're not. literally not allowed. Literally told you when I told you, you this, you did that it not couldn't be announced. Back. Yeah, several times you were. I said several times I was going to announce under, on, the, you, on, the, on, the, were, on the podcast. Let Derek will understand this. You were on a Keith Abbott like bender when I told you this information. So, <laughs> you know, expecting you to remember anything, Derek. Derek not saying anything, but the knowing look in his eyes. Now, hang on. Well, I can't. Now, you know what? I yeah, that's that's not true. I mean, I need to. Yeah, I can. I, I might as well at this point because well, no, no one, no, no one. I, I have not said a word except that it's it's ended. I've not said at anything at all about the gig itself that you got yesterday. Yeah, thrown in your lap, and that's that's the right. best. Yeah, way I did to nothing it. to get it or deserve it. I think that's completely true. <laughs> well, well, I'm a, I'm I'm a maverick, so I'm going to tell everybody you're watching the new. Play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Braves, John Chop it, chipper hits a chop at a third. Braves win. No, no, not at all. All right, but I, but I will be the public address announcer for the Toronto Raptors while they stay in Tampa. How about that? I will be doing that job. That's fantastic, man. Yeah, I know it's a great gig. Yes, into March, I guess they're they're saying the first half and uh, first half is going to wrap up. I guess the first of March, and then decisions made past that. But I yes. That's so awesome, I, I haven't made a big thing about it because just yesterday just happened and I didn't. But, you know, it's uh, it, it's hey, true. Mark I, wanted to point out that we that this show is built on lies because this entire show is built on the the idea that we will never work yes. in in sports again. Yeah. And I got a job in sports. So I'll yeah, say I'll say this. The first job I ever had in radio, I was a board operator and the host of the morning show was Paul Porter. So if you get a job in Tampa as the PA announcer, yeah, you that was thirty years ago. I, so I know. Well, can, I've, I've been waiting. For, I've been waiting for Paul Porter to go for years. I don't mean you know go in the larger sense, though. I mean I'll tell you, I think you beggars can't be choosers. But he's gonna cush <laughs> retire. He will yeah. never retire. He does a great job. So, uh, yes, so we can uh, heretofore refer to John Pelkey as the voice of the Toronto Raptors. No, you can't. You, I you, think we can. No. I, I think we're only going to be able parenthetically to do that. add the Tampa edition. How's that? I, I had to think about that for a second, but I'm like, man, you got a job over Paul Porter, but he'll of course be doing the magic. So Right. And yeah, I'm, I assume available. whoever's over there in Tampa who does the lightning would have been first in line as well, but they're probably going to be overlapping play. So 
Anyway, there you go. It, it all worked out for John Pelkey in, right. in, in many, many, many ways. M, and we're, we're all very happy. Am, am I mistaken? I think Paul Porter is the PA announcer for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He may very well be. I think he, I think they use a backup when there's a when there's a scheduling problem for okay. the Magic. But I think those are rare because they're only at the home games. So I think the he last, is. The last Lightning game I went to was a couple of seasons ago, and it, it wasn't him. I would have recognized at that time, but it was in the midst of the NBA season, so I'm sure that's the that's the case. There you go. And the and I'm the have Raptors, to make an executive decision. As uh, I was just going to say, the Raptors PA guy is um, uh, he's legendary. So there's there's no chance I'll be replacing him. He, he's beloved. I won't be beloved. I'm, I'm making he's not executive. allowed to come here, and you're not allowed to go there. So he doesn't right. have to worry about that. That's a good point. We uh, we can no longer mention Paul Porter at all for the rest of the show. We've mentioned him four times. Wow, and that's far hey, too many. He's the Dallas Cowboys of the this show. These the, the if you want to put a guy on a pedestal, though, he's the guy. He's a sweetheart of a guy. He's a good dude. He's local famous, but you would never know it. He's a good dude. Yep, he is right. a good dude. The, Speaking uh, of good dudes, let's talk to good dude Derek Abbott about. Uh, well, about uh, drinking with Keith Abbott, but uh, maybe first we'll go into NFL football. Well, I think it's so interesting because uh, and I asked Derek about this yesterday. There's only two games this this uh, weekend that involve teams over 500. It's so weird how the schedule works out sometimes, but it's, yeah. re- it's remarkable that there's only two because there's a lot of teams over 500. Yeah. But neither of them have difficult schedules this week. Did we lose you, Mark? Uh, we've lost Mark's audio. We have lost Mark's audio. So while he figures that out, let's get into this. Uh, Derek, let's start with the game, which I think to me is the most interesting game, and that is Tennessee and Cleveland. I I think Tennessee and Cleveland is incredibly uh, interesting. Cleveland has worked out what they are. I think everyone would agree they are a power-running team that has, to an extent, benefited Baker Mayfield, uh, who I think thinks he works best off script. And I think he actually works best on script. But talk about this game because it is it is a pivotal game for both of these teams. And the Titans are the team that we all disregard. And then they just keep winning and winning and winning. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on again. Um, I think these two teams, Tennessee and Cleveland, are, are stylistically clones of each other. Um, they both rely heavily on the run game with with very effective run attacks and good offensive lines. Um, and then they, you know, expect their quarterback to, you know, not turn the ball over a ton of play action, sprint outs, boots, et cetera. Um, the less that their quarterback is dropping back to pass, um, the, the higher success rate uh, for the, for that offense. Uh, starting with Cleveland, really the two difference, the two differences between the two teams is, is the quarterback play. Um, I think Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback right now of the two. Uh, just a lot of the things as well, because he can make plays um, out of structure and with his legs, where while Baker can, um, I believe that Tannehill is much better at that. Um, Tennessee, stylistically, has been doing a little bit different, some things up front, uh, maybe to get Derrick Henry, because I think a lot of teams are trying to penetrate that first line of scrimmage and stop him before he gets going. So they're doing some pin pull stuff. They actually ran counter last week, which they don't ever run. Um, so it was a nice little wrinkle here and there, but I think both teams are figuring out who they are. The Tennessee knows who they are. I think that they're, they're the same team. They're just a little bit further along in the process of knowing who they are and doing what they do effectively. The one thing that Tennessee uh, Mark, and we still, I think we still don't have your audio. Do we, 
No, still don't have your audio. Excellent. I have another question. Uh, I think uh, the, the one thing that Tennessee doesn't do well, very well, is pressure the quarterback. Um, so they may just simply load up the box and ask Baker Mayfield to beat them. And I think all pretty much everybody, yourself included, would say that's the, that's the blueprint for beating Cleveland is to try to make Mayfield beat you. To, to the point, though, that he has played better within this system, and, and they've really morphed into this. Um, what are you seeing from Baker? And do you think he could possibly, because he's probably going to have a relatively clean pocket, uh, with some of the play action stuff, do you think he's got a chance to have some success? Well, I think he does. But, again, it kind of goes back to are they going to be able to run the ball effectively throughout the game? Um, so I think that that's really the the main point of emphasis for them. If the Titans don't have Jeffrey Simmons in the middle of the field, in the middle, I think that'll really, really help hurt their defense um, trying to stop the run game. And then off of the play action stuff, I think you've got to make Baker beat you like from the pocket. Cause I yeah. don't think that, I don't think that he is, has the ability to do that. And it's so funny because really what is this? His third year in the league now, right? So the first year it was all fireworks and everybody was on the Baker Mayfield train. Then the next year he, you know, kind of falls back to earth. So this year is kind of you're getting in between, and this is really who he is. Um, he's not a drop-back guy, and even when he stands in the pocket every now and then and he doesn't see a read clean, it, he kind of panics, and his pocket presence isn't as, isn't as clean as you would like it. He kind of drifts here and there, and, and it kind of messes with protection as well. So even last week you saw him come off of a read late or not read something right and miss a running back or whoever was wide open in the end zone versus Jacksonville. So – uh, I think he's very similar to me as uh, as Case Keenum. I think that they're very, very similar players. So the spread, and I'm, I'm trusting you can hear me now. Yes. yes. The spread is pretty high. It's almost seven points between Tennessee and uh, Cleveland. They're both eight and three. As John mentioned, they both rely on the running game. And, um, you know, between Chubb and, and – um, Kareem Hunt, uh, between between those two, you know, uh, and Derrick Henry, I mean, they're both formidable. You talked about the difference in quarterbacks, but I don't think it's a seven-point difference. Do you think the other difference between the two teams is is on the defense, Derrick? Well, the, well, Cleveland does get Miles Garrett back, and they're starting to gel a little bit better on the defensive side as well. So, again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying was, was with are they able to get – are they able to move the line of scrimmage at the point of attack from the jump? Um, like I said earlier, the Tennessee is moving and they are doing some different things or adding wrinkles, right? So when you're having building an offense, you have your base plays and then you build little, little wrinkles here or there that, that you really, really like. And just an interesting little tidbit is that the offensive line coach for the Titans um, comes from the Shanahan school of outside zone. So you're seeing, obviously, their base is outside zone, but they're changing and tweaking little minor things. Um, Jeffrey or Jeff Swaim, who is their tight end, they'll motion him and put him as a fullback. So now a defense is in a lighter box because of the personnel grouping of it. And they'll run a play and mess with the defense's read keys, and Derrick Henry will look like he's going to go outside. And this is where you see him put his foot in the ground and get vertical right now. Linebacker will overrun it. And then now he's up the field for 20, 20 some yards. But the key to that is obviously getting back behind the line of scrimmage before Derrick Henry can get going.
And do you obviously with Garrett back, you think they'll be successful or a little bit more successful at doing that. But do you, you mean what what defense has the advantage of plugging up the other team's running game in your mind? Well, I think, like I said earlier, that if, if they don't have Jeffrey Simmons, that really, really hurts them. And, and Cleveland might be able to run the ball all over them. Um, if they do, I think it kind of swings. I mean, I think either way, I think it kind of swings more towards um, towards Cleveland defensively. But again, I mean, A.J. Brown's been playing out of his mind, too. He had a great, great week last week. And, and again, now it swings back the other way that the quarterback balance is more more towards Tennessee. So now it's really about as even as it really gets. And the two teams are clones of each other. Yeah, it's just great. And I mean, I think if for me and just as, as a novice, if you're going to put your money on somebody, put your money on the team that's got the quarterback who's going to have the best completion percentage. And to your point, I think we look at Tannehill as the guy who's more than likely going to do that. All right, let's uh, let's change breaks. Let's uh, change games and move on to the Rams in Arizona. Kyler Murray's uh, got shoulder injury in that. Um Rams are on the road where they're generally not quite as good as they are at home. How do you see this game? The NFC West is so difficult to get your arms around right now. Well, Arizona's a pretty inconsistent team week in and week out, and their offense is stylistically extremely rhythmic. Um, they need to get, you know, Hopkins going early to open up, you know, Christian Kirk and other people. Um, their run game is spotty as well. I think – they had a really, really bad matchup going to New England just because if you saw the most basic Bill Belichick defense, and that's really saying something, a basic Bill Belichick defense, <laughs> is, you know, double-team Hopkins with, with your second and third guy or safety and their second-best corner, put your number one corner on their number two. Really force their number two and number three receivers to beat you, play left-handed. Um, the running game isn't all that effective. And then with with – Murray being hurt, who is part of their part of their run game. Big time. He hasn't been running as much. And even like his throws haven't been as accurate. Now he's a pretty natural thrower. He's got a little bit of a baseball delivery. So mm -hmm. and I believe his injury is an AC joint. And um, as a former in shoulder injury person myself, <laughs> throwing with those injuries is, is extremely painful. And it's not a dull kind of injury it's a more of when you're coming over the top you feel like someone hits you with an axe um mine was labrum his i think is ac joint so it's somewhat different but it lingers it messes with your follow-through and kind of your arm angles as well um on the ram side how to stop that and, and really combat kyler murray i think the way and they have the scheme to do it um by getting pressure up the middle and then forcing and containing him as well with aaron donald um, I think Brandon Staley is is kind of considered to be, and I don't know that anybody, I think they're starting to a little bit, um, but he's probably one of the better defensive coordinators, young defensive coordinators in the league, and probably the Sean McVay of, of defensive coordinators right now, just with some of the really interesting stuff they're doing up front with they'll put a, a nose tackle and then two guys really in the B gap on the inside shade, really clogs up B gaps on, on inside run stuff. And then, you know, you have your secondary where they're rotating and showing you one thing in the beginning of the play, and then they're blitzing a corner and, you know, rolling to a Tampa 2, really, really <laughs> exotic stuff. And I, they did it to Tua about two weeks ago. And I, I had sent it to my buddy. I was like, look at this. you got to watch this. This is – I've never seen it. <laughs> really cool. So the way that they're getting to some of those stuff of, of whether they can – 
with Ramsey, maybe they put Ramsey on Kirk or whatever they might do and, and just double Hopkins again and put those put them in that bad situation. Well, it's it's not to downplay the D, the D coordinator for the L.A. Rams, but when you have Aaron Donald uh, there, you can do a lot of creative things. And then you have Ramsey in the back end as well. You can you can uh, you can be very creative. But you talked about inconsistency with the Arizona Cardinals. But Jared Goff to me, is one of the most inconsistent quarterbacks out there because he had just come off of really nice games against the uh, against the against the against uh, the Bucks and against the Seahawks. And then he comes out and I think had three turnovers against the San Francisco 49ers, did not have a good game. His coach, as a matter of fact, called him out. Mm-hmm. What is it about him that uh, either the – Cardinals can do to keep him in, in an inconsistent state or what is it about just him as a performer that tends to not be as consistent as you'd like? Well, I think the 49ers have kind of been the Rams boogeyman for the, like the last two years. And I think a lot of that has or no, I'll say to that. I know Brian Scary is listening right now. <laughs> I, think, and, uh, I think it has the last two years. <laughs> I think it has less to do. Well, I mean, obviously Jared Goff can't turn the ball over as much as he has this year. And he's not saying thing as clean. But I will say that the 49ers kind of have McVay figured out a little bit. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, with eye discipline, just because of all the diff- different jet motions and things that the, the window dressing that McVay, a McVay offense will present to you. Um, Robert Sala probably, I mean, he's up there with one of the, uh, another one of the better D coordinators, and he should be a, a head coach next year, there's mm-hmm. no doubt, um, just with the stuff that he's been doing. Um, but the way that they're they keep eye discipline, they don't fall for all the jet motion and everything else. So when you don't fall for that, you get put in in, in some tight spots um, offensively because that's what that offense really relies on. So with, with Arizona, I believe that they've kind of struggled against the Rams in the last couple of years. I don't remember their record, but I don't know that they won a game in the last couple of years versus them. But they they don't have the greatest linebacking core, so this is a game where it could open up for Goff, and everyone's like, "Oh, Goff's back." Well, a lot of it has to do with, what, a lot of right. it has to do with the scheme and and how the defense reacts to to that scheme. Yeah, it also has to be pointed out. I don't think the Cardinals tackle particularly well. I mean, that's kind of throughout the NFL has been a thing, but I know they've been criticized for not uh, tackling particularly well against the Rams. That's uh, that's going to hurt a lot. All right, let's jump to uh, Mark. I'm, I'm sure Mark lied to me about this because, you know, it's Mark and me, and that's kind of what our relationship is all about. Um, but uh, Half-truths and lies. Half-truths yes, and lies. Absolutely. Anything to make one of us feel like we're on top of the other, ahead of the other. All right. So, he, and, I guess he, and right now, John, you have that in space because you have an actual job that's paying you very well, and you are now the voice of the Toronto Raptors. So, the I, the you Toronto know, Raptors. you you can really step on my neck, All right. you know, well, I'm, consistently now because you've got me, you've got me down. Well, I would well, I would love that very much. Apparently, according to you, you threw out to Derek, you know, let's do the two uh, over 500 teams and then, you know, just pick one matchup that's not not as great of a matchup, but something you see as an interesting game. And Derek, Mark said to me the on your own, you chose the San Francisco game. How much did he actually funnel your way? And uh, aren't you guilty because, you know, the old man's got no savings and what he's given you. Uh, to choose to talk about his team for some unknown reason. It's really taking food out of his mouth, to be frank. Um, 
you know, I, it was a personal decision. I made that decision all by myself. I promise there was no money involved. Could have been more, but I. Well, it, and it's a good choice. All kidding aside, it is a really interesting game. And I mentioned you can't get your arms around the NFC West. Obviously, the 49ers have had as many injuries as anybody this side of the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're not. The no, 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 no. Ever in the history of any <laughs> NFL team. Fair enough. Uh, I've taken them off the board of teams to uh, to make predictions or bet about uh, Buffalo. Obviously, one of the better teams in the AFC. But, man, oh, man, uh, it would scare me to play San Francisco. What do you see in this game for Josh Allen and the Bills up against that San Francisco team, which is half JV, uh, apparently, at this point, if you believe what you're told? Well, the, well, the matchup is certainly the, the 49ers defense versus the Bills offense. There, there's no doubt. Um, just because stylistically, it, the Buffalo really thrives when they are going against teams that play man coverage a ton. Um, they can really scheme up some some receivers to run free. Um, it kind of hurts not having John Brown, who went to IR last week. Um, but And they've tried to really establish more of a running game the last couple of weeks with Devin Singletary, um, it, not with great success, but but they're trying to make the effort because I'm sure they're in the back of their mind thinking that, you know, down the stretch you're going to have to be able to run the football, especially in Buffalo if you get a playoff game. But on the defensive side, I, mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier with Robert Sala and, and how good of a job that he's done with all the with all the injuries and, and everything that they've had to do. They've actually started to get a little bit healthier offensively and defensively. You get Debo Samuel back. Is Mo, Morst, Morst, Mostert back? I believe he's back now. He is back, yes. So he's back. Um, and then you get Richard Sherman back. And then Jimmy War, who's been coming into his own and playing really, really well and really causing a lot of issues for our for offenses just because he's so dynamic in terms of things that he can do in the pass game. Um, so I, I think that the matchup in, like I was saying, Buffalo thrives on man coverage. Well, Salah's background is, is the Seattle cover three background. Now they've been doing some different things with some two high safeties and structures um, with, with maybe whether it's quarters or cover two or six or whatever it might be rolling to different stuff. So, but I believe like the core, I believe is still cover three, like that's going to be their default. So for Josh Allen, um, the, the matchup is, 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 is he able to throw with anticipation and timing? And that's not always something that he's been hit. And that's not always been his strong suit. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of uh, worries as a 49er fan and <laughs> following them. Uh, first of all, they don't, have a lot of success against mobile quarterbacks, very mobile quarterbacks, number one. But the main thing I'm worried about is the back end. We've talked about this. Jim Hazlitt, good friend of ours, good friend of your dad's, good friend of yours, uh, yeah, Derek Abbott. Uh, he told us on Super Bowl Sunday, he said, and this was a pretty all-world defense last year for the San Francisco 49ers. He said the back end is what to worry about. This year, yes, they've had injuries. Jimmy Ward has evolved to this really outstanding position he's in where he can do a lot of different things, to your point. But DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, those are all elite wide receivers that they have been lit up by. And Savon Diggs is number three in catches, number three in yards. And I just worry that they're going to beat him over the top or that the 49ers are pretty vulnerable still over the top. Your thoughts? I would say so, yeah. But, I mean, like I said, this is the team that, that thrives on against man coverage. So whether they're able to cloud wherever Stephon digs, so bring a safety over the top of them and really make uh, Cole Beasley beat you, 
I think really, you know, the third down that he's the he's the third down machine. So keeping him out of the game, I guess, is probably the best bet. And, you know, like I said, just clouding over 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 digs. Um, but, yeah, that's that's definitely something always to be worried about. And, and you know, the other key too with Josh Allen is keeping him at bay with with Fred Warner, too at the linebacker spot who's been playing really, really well this year. Yep. Um, so put, putting a spy on Allen, keeping him in the pocket, trying collapsing it, and then just kind of maybe throwing some different oddballs and, and coverage-wise to maybe make him make a mistake and get a turnover. We don't have a lot of tape on Nick Mullins, but frankly, uh, he's played pretty well. I think, in fact, uh, uh, as far as uh, yards per game, they're up from Garoppolo's statistics on that um sometimes it's difficult obviously for defensive coordinators don't have a lot of tape on a guy what have you seen from nick mullins and what is it he's going to have to do against this buffalo defense he's gonna have to do the same thing that he's been doing uh don't turn the ball over distribute the ball to your playmakers they're doing some really interesting stuff with with some of the even stuff the rams do as well with some of the wide receiver runs Using the Debo Samuel, I think, is a big, huge part of that offense, and especially using Kyle Juszczyk as well, that they're kind of like positionless players where they can kind of cause, you know, matchup personnel nightmares because, you know, when, when you're a defensive coordinator or you're a defensive coach, you're fixated on who is running out there, and a lot of times it's by number. So you see a number 40-something, you assume it's a fullback. And a, a, you know, a teen's number is a receiver. Well, okay, that's what your personnel setting is. But when you get a guy like Debo Samuel and, and Juszczyk, you got to take a second and think, okay, what is the best matchup for this? Because he's not really a running back. He's not it's really a receiver. Same thing with Debo Samuel. They use him as a running back, but he's the receiver. Juszczyk, they use him as a fullback, but they also use him as a tight end as a in the pass game as well. So I think that, that the evolution of Shanahan's – ever-changing offense broken <laughs> mirrors and i mean it's so fascinating to watch i mean i'm gonna go out and say this on, on it sounds like a lot but i would kind of put shanahan's offensive scheme wise in kind of the same way that what people think of belichick defensively because shanahan is so creative and it changes every week and he's getting the most out of nick mullins so, <laughs> and that's no, that's no offense to Nick Mullins. He's no, well, the way you said Nick Mullins, he hey, understands. Second I, best, yeah, SF, no. second best Southern Miss quarterback I remember in the NFL. That's all I'm saying. He's number two well, behind a lot number when two get, when they get Matt Ryan next year. So, <laughs> oh, I've don't. You're not the first person who I've heard that from. That Matt yeah. Ryan's out of Atlanta and he will be a very popular pick. Uh, I do. I know we didn't ask you to talk about this one, Derek, but I do have to ask because you brought up uh, Bill Belichick and uh, the uh, the Chargers and New England. Um, the reason I bring it up is Justin Herbert has been a really, really great story. Uh, deserves more wins than that team has. Um, but he's now going to come up against the best schemer of defense that there is maybe the best defensive coordinator ever in the game. Um, what do you what do you look for for a guy like Herbert? Because he's still a young guy. Mistakes are going to be made. Coming up against a Belichick defense the first time is going to be intimidating for anyone, no matter what they say. What are you looking for for Justin Herbert in a game like that, young quarterback? Uh, process and poise, really. How he's able to go through his reads. Um, is he hanging in the pocket? Does he look like, you know, the world's spinning and, and... – <laughs> He's got to make every play out of structure and make the Superman play. 
Um, he really hasn't done that. I, he, I would be the first one to say I was completely wrong on mm. him when he came out. Now, this is only a small sample size, but so far I've been pretty wrong. And I think a lot of people have, mm-hmm. um, it was almost, it was like too obvious. It was like, we got to find something wrong. It's the same thing with DK Metcalf. Everybody's like, we got to find something wrong. I think it's something like that. But but really, when you're going up against the Belichick defense, it's really process and poise. Are you processing and understanding what you are seeing from the, from the defense? Are you able to make adjustments? Are you able to hang in there and, and kind of handle some of the exotic stuff that Belichick might throw at you? At the end of the day, Belichick's going to run some variation of man. That's what his, his base principle is. Um Last week when they played Arizona, they did a bunch of stunts and twists up front uh, to maybe try and confuse the offensive line and get a push and kind of contain Kyler Murray. Might see something, see something very similar to that, and and kind of maybe they might double uh, Keenan Allen and then put the uh, put their Gilmore whoever uh, on the second best receiver. So I think that that's really what what the keys to Herbert would be is process and poise. All right, so one of our listeners, one of our viewers today, one of two actually that are making comments is, uh, is um, well, the man that is not as important to John Pelkey anymore because John Pelkey now has a job in sports. So now he's, I know, he's he is so to, much more to my important future. To me. He's so much more important to me. I fit in his youth movement. I'm he's trying to fire the both of you from this podcast. <laughs> Of course. Well, he really is. He's asking, when does Derek get his own podcast? And he's going straight to Jeff with that question. (laughs) So I think the best move for us, John, right now, and and tell me if you agree, this is one of the times where the world is against us. We have to actually be a team as opposed to fighting each other. Oh, damn it. Uh, uh, So I think we, we keep Derek on for locks and shocks. And I know, Derek, you haven't thought through these that much, but you have watched film. I do watch film. Yes. <laughs> he does watch film. Oh, by the way, a little bit more of Coast Guard recently. But, um, yeah. but NFL film, he does. Wa- he certainly watches more NFL film than you and I, John. Would you agree? I don't I don't I don't have uh, video equipment of any sort. I'm I, I only get uh, PBS World War II uh, documentary so projector. You, you, you'll like you'll like this story. So I actually told my dad that I canceled like the Netflix subscription or whatever that I had. Good man, and, you're, you're trying to reduce the, your budget. The Hulu one, yeah, except I just moved it and put it all towards, like, film <laughs> stuff. Like, <laughs> so it was like an offensive line, like, Patreon account that I, like, watch <laughs> for, like, whatever, 20 bucks a month, and I, like, learned everything from it. What's the yeah. athletic equivalence of a nerd alert? Yeah, <laughs> that's me. what we're looking at. <laughs> me, Yeah. <laughs> Oh. So, all right. So he, here we go. I'm going to start us off with the shock that I think hey. is realistic. And I want okay. your opinion, John and and uh, Derek. And, and when Jeff returns, we'll get his opinion as well. But I really like oh, thank you. Atlanta. Did you did you like uh, me on the rocking? Jeff, Jeff's microphone's on. Jeff's just, microphone's is, yeah, is still just, on. Maybe we yeah, can. Having, having a nice conversation. Him. No, let's listen in. Sorry, my grandmother has called me. So, oh, well, I mean, hell, we can. That'll be more popular than the Derek Abbott segment, for God's sake. So, I think think Atlanta has a shot to beat New Orleans, especially with Taysom Hill. I think their Mm -hmm. defense has really stepped up as of late. Certainly, their offense had a field day last week against the Raiders and have has been playing well. Uh, Raheem Morris is, I believe, four and two with the Falcons thus far. 
maybe it's just because I don't think the Saints are a, are a legitimate 9-2 and two team, but that's my biases speaking right there. What do you think, mm-hmm. Eric, about that pick for my shock? I actually don't mind it. For the sole reason of the fact that that I wish your dad would say that more when we talked about <laughs> politics, and he I doesn't would say that to anybody. Re- right. He doesn't say that to anybody. So it's not in his vocabulary. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't. He doesn't say, "I'm sorry, you're right." It's he spins it. Uh, so, anyways, I, I, I actually really like that pick because in the last couple of weeks since they uh, they relieved Dan Quinn. Um, yeah, they've yeah. actually really been been turning up some of their blitzes and being a little bit more exotic on the defensive side. Now, whether the offense wakes up, I, I have no idea. Or if Julio Jones plays, um, that's another factor. But th- defensively, they've played a ton better. So back when when Dan Quinn was there, he was structurally a cover three team, just like Salah with, with the Seattle background. Since then, it's been a lot of different blitzes and stuff. So with a quarterback that is very, I don't want to say limited, um, we'll say limited playing time and limited experience, right. throwing some different blitzes and confusing them from the jump could really give them an advantage. Now, the, the key is, is that whether they're able to cover Alvin Kamara out of the backfield, um, that that's really the key with it, with the, with the same yep. every week from playing them. I agree. And I think, Taysom Hill only didn't I don't even know if he threw for 100 yards last week. He had 78 78 yards last week. Yeah, against against the Broncos team and in a game that took football back about 70 years. (laughs) I I really like that pick just for the sole reason of their defense is playing well. They created turnovers last week. They're flying around. They got a little bit more pep in their step. And I think the Saints are kind of in experimentation mode. All right. He likes my shock, Johnny. All right. That brother. I would like to uh, second the fact that that it took football back 70 years, but it was it would have been a bad football game 70 years ago as well. So not only was it a retrograde game, it would have been a horrible game then as well. And I was I was oddly drawn to it. Actually, I was oddly drawn to wanting to see what would happen. All right. Um, that would have been my shock as well. But I can't Ooh. I can't get out of my mind. That they've been through an awful lot. They did not look great the last time we saw them play. And they're playing a team that with a, with a horrible record that's trending in the right direction. So my shock, and I don't know, I'm not saying they're going to beat them outright, but I think Washington's going to give Pittsburgh a lot of trouble on Monday. Um, I, I just, I think the, now the Steelers offense has morphed uh, quite a bit. Ben gets the ball out a lot more quickly. So the Washington pass rush, obviously not going to be quite as, uh, uh, effective, but I I just think the way that they're playing right now and Pittsburgh just being boy, you talk about off schedule with your you know preparation and My everything. Goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got to be so. I feel bad for this for the Steelers because I just think they've they've gotten a raw deal uh, through the NFL. I think a little bit through all, all of this. Um, so it's seven and a half points. Um, I think Washington can keep it close with Pittsburgh. I do too, especially losing Bud Dupree. Oh, yeah, huge loss. That is a massive loss. So now really two out of the four key players on their defense are out for the year with Devin Bush and now Bud Dupree. You still have Minka. You still have um, T.J. Watt. You still have some playmakers on that defense, but still they've really, really struggled running uh, in their run game, uh, stopping the run. Um, and Gibson, the running back for Washington, has has really played well mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. I think he's kind of got a feel for the NFL with, with, 
with cuts and understanding, you know, leverages and things of that nature. So I think that that, I think that Washington will be able to run the ball. Now, whether they'll be able to throw the ball, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I th- Pittsburgh's got one of the better pass defenses in the league and uh, Washington. Now, it's hard for me to say this just because my high school teammate plays for the Washington football team right now, uh, Jeff Bidette. So there's a special shout out to Jeff. But um, I-, I really think it'd be a short. I think it'll be closer than people think because just I think the Steelers just win ugly games. As Mike Tomlin said, they do not care. Um, they're going to go about their business. But at, at whatever they are, 11-0, and 0, at this point in the year, there is really nothing good that can happen for the Steelers the rest of this year. <laughs> there's, there's nothing good that can happen for the rest Wait, of the year. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I don't understand. They're, because if they, they're either going to lose or they're going to have an injury. It doesn't matter. They're in the playoffs. Yeah. No, but they but they really need to be competing for the again. I keep bringing Mark this is up. obsessed with this. This <laughs> is Mark's only by position in yeah, either conference that. is the top team, and right mm-hmm. now they have a game lead over the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think is are a better team and would probably beat the Steelers. But if the Steelers have a week off, that could really help them. And if Kansas City has to play an extra game. So I, I want to ask you about that, and I also want to ask you about Pittsburgh's running game against Washington's defense because Washington has a you know, pretty stout defensive line, and Pittsburgh's running game has struggled, especially now without you know Connor. They do have a stout defensive line. I don't think that they've played as well as the names on paper. I think that their, their defensive line could play better now they're still gelling together and everything else. But I, is James Conner going to be eligible to play in this game? He just was on the coronavirus list. I don't think he will be. I, I think that, you know, and they've struggled with their run game, even with him. They, yeah, and they also didn't have Pouncey in the last game, too. And, and I True. think that that had something to do with contact tracing. I'm not sure if it was a – he actually had COVID, and I'm not sure. What, the protocols change every week. Who knows? Yeah. The 49, they made the 49ers roll out there with their B-list team and they made the Broncos not even have a quarterback, and they gave Baltimore a month to figure it out. So yeah. it, it, I, I have no idea whether those guys will be eligible. Or You're not, not happy with the decision makers of the NFL. I can see. No, that I there. thought it was incredibly dumb. Like, well, and and and, and I you, think you got to treat it the same way as an injury. That's what I think. I, I think all of us agree with with this situation. It's just like uh, uh, refereeing in any sport. It's like we just want some level of consistency. We, it, it, it may be more strict than it needs to be. Maybe not as strict as it needs to be. But if there's some level of consistency, and there hasn't been a lot of that, and I just think, I just think with Washington's uh, ability to run the ball, the fact that um, that Alex Smith has gotten more and more comfortable seemingly, and he is good. Uh, he is good at getting the ball out of his hands quickly, and he looks like he can move around well. Again, I'm not saying that they're going to beat Pittsburgh, but everything the Steelers have gone through, and to and to Derek's point, I mean, no team loses a game and says, oh, "I'm so glad we lost that game." But dropping a game right now for Pittsburgh might be one of the better things that could happen to them. Frankly, uh, again, adds more pressure to go undefeated. Yeah. And you're yep. almost like, okay, what's well, what's out of the way? We got we got the the bad the bad bug out of the way. See, but, I I disagree with that because they have a motivation. They have a real like the Saints when they were thirteen and 0, oh, they nine. I am I am obsessed with this. Yeah, they had no reason they could lose three in a row, which they did, and still have home field. Yeah. To me, that is yes. Some home field teams lose. Yes, sometimes the buy hurts a team. 
But, I, you know, as a 49er fan, the buy was perfect for the San Francisco 49ers. Their buy was their actual buy was in week three. And so they really needed that week off and they ran through the Vikings and the Packers. I think it's important more than it is, uh, you know, a, a recipe for an upset. I think that's a great motivation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, not many 11 and 0 teams have a motivation to continue to win. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, by definition, do because there's, again, only Maybe. one team that gets a bye. Yeah. Only one team. And, I know, Mark. You've and said that. Kansas City. Well, no one seems you have, to understand you have this. Everyone understands, Mark. Everyone no one understands. We're no not one just seems to understand that. Okay. And, and the Steelers also have a tendency to always play down to their opponents. Always. Always. And they, and they did that last week versus Baltimore. If you go back and you watch the tape and you see how many drop passes there were in that game. Oh, my God. On on by Claypool and Deontay Johnson and ridiculous. They, they could have blown that game wide open. Yes. And yeah, many, put, many times. And put Baltimore away, put a stamp on it. But they, many but times. It's really been a thing throughout the Tomlin era and even the Cower era as well, is that they just don't do this. Now they'll beat them. Yeah. But they won't beat them in, you know, the fashion that Kansas City might with, you know, putting 80 points on somebody <laughs> with 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. Speak, they, speaking of, that's my that's my lock is Kansas City over Denver, and there is a 14-point favorite. What do you think of that one? Uh, I like Kansas City. I don't know that I like the 14 points. It's Denver. Or, I'm sorry, Denver. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like the 14 points. I'm always leery about. That's a big line. Two, that's a big, that's a big number. Spreads. I agree. My dad taught me that one. <laughs> okay. All right, we got another reference. We got like this is as many references to Keith Abbott in this show as Paul Porter. For yeah, you just you're not happy. <laughs> you're not happy. So how about you, Johnny? What's your what's your lock? Uh, well, you know it, it's funny because I, I agree with your lock, but uh, I, the, the more I, I look at it, I think just and this is not really it's a big number, so it's surprising. But I think the Raiders are going to blow out the Jets because. It, it, I just think that, you know, the Raiders have, there's, there've been some struggles of late with the Raiders. Uh, they were everybody's darling for a bit. And now they're kind of an afterthought. And uh, you know, at this point with the jets, I think the players are looking around and saying, Hey, you're firing every other shitty coach in the NFL. Could you fire our shitty coach for God's sake? And can we get on with it? Um, I just think that uh, I, again, I'm not going to accuse NFL players of not being motivated to play hard. But boy, if you're on any team right now and you're just and you're just you know praying that you get out of the season without an injury, you're a New York Jet, frankly, in my mind. I, I hate to do this to you, but the last time that the Jets were winless, it was they beat the Raiders. Fair enough. I've been wrong about so many more things. Do do you think there's a possibility the reason why the Jets are not firing Adam Gase now is they're worried that if they bring in another guy, even if it's one of the guys that are is one of his assistants, yeah, they're going to have a spark, win a couple games, and the Jaguars are going to have the number one overall pick. Uh, I think I think more than that. Uh, I, I think in addition to that is they're afraid they'll they'll uh, elevate an assistant coach who has that success, and then there's going to be a lot of movement for that assistant coach to take over. And I, you know, I think the the Jets really need to do their due diligence in my mind and sit down and have, take a hard look at who they are, what their personnel is, and what type of coach they need. I think that would be a mistake for them as well. And you're probably right. That's why. But I, you have to figure if you're a player on that team and you're looking around coming into any Sunday and going, you know, honestly, all, the best we can hope for is not to get boat raced, frankly. And that we, we don't have a lot of good, there, we don't have a good chance of that, Frank. There, there seems so. to be no other excuse for it. 
I think, yeah, no. I think the Jets' due diligence is to lose the remainder of their games. That's what their due <laughs> diligence is. And, uh, and you know, make sure they're in position to get um, Justin Fields or Kyle Trask yeah. for the number one pick. Stay because, away from Lawrence. That kid's well, going to be a bust. I'm telling you, he's, he's got he's, nothing. He's going to uh, he's gonna stay another year. System quarterback. If I were Trevor Lawrence... Or if any of us were Trevor Lawrence, none of us would want to go to the Jets. I'm, I, I got to ask, what very makes clear. you think that he is a system quarterback? Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Well, they have a system, and he's the quarterback in it, and they've had a great deal of success. So I think I just, you know, and I don't know why. And this is just I know why, my John. dislike for Clemson. Mark believes it's my, uh, it's my atheism. Um, I just, I look at Trevor Lawrence, and I see Dan McGuire. I see um, Dan Orzlovsky. I see other quarterbacks not named Dan who are very, very tall and uh, somewhat right slight. Right. And I just, I just, he doesn't stand the eye test to me. And I just keep thinking the ACC is crap that, it, you know, they're, I've seen guys throw for 72 trillion yards for offenses and they just look like crap in the NFL. I, there's something about, him i hope i'm wrong i I have nothing against the kid no matter what mark says but i just i think the expectations being what they are the fact that he's going to go to a crap team well i'll stick with it if he goes to the jets because that's just going to be a death knell for him no matter what i don't care if he's flipping comes out and he's john unitas no i agree with that which is why joe burrow despite his success you know relatively i mean is he really a successful first year quarterback i'm not sure he is what they've won two games this year, I think he's he going to eventually he showed a ton of traits. I thought he showed yeah. a lot of different things that showed promise going forward once they build the roster around him. A little Again, bit. that's that the last phrase, though, Derek, once they build the roster around yeah. them <laughs> is something I'm not sure I trust with the Cincinnati organization <laughs> and Mike Brown. And that's the problem with him. He showed a lot of traits. You're absolutely right. He, he showed a lot of traits in college as well. Mm-hmm. And and people quarterbacks like that historically if they continue like sam darnold showed a lot of traits and they did not build a roster around him Mm -hmm. and now he's about to set a new york jets record of not throwing a touchdown in five consecutive games a new york jets record for crying that's a vaunted list too (laughs) i I think with the jets too i think there is a lot of different things going on with who the, the process of getting the general manager, he got the head coach before the general manager. He drafted this guy. This guy didn't want him. I think that there's just a lot of dysfunction in there right now. I think Joe Douglas is a really, really good general manager, personal personnel guy, and talent evaluator. I think he's really awesome. Adam Gase is, is Adam Gase. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and say another coach is bad. Um, maybe it's just a situation. They don't blend together, whatever it might be, but it's just not working there. The place that you would want to go right now if you were a top three pick, I think, is Jacksonville. Yeah, everyone says that's – I was going to ask you, Derek, you buried the lead. I was going to ask you, as a coach, which one of the uh, the situations that are open right now and we'll throw the Jets in, we all assume that will happen. Maybe uh, the Chargers might be very – if Anthony Lynn loses his job with Justin Herbert, that's going to be attractive. But so you, like, pretty much everybody else is looking and saying, if you're looking at pure talent, and what you have to work with, Jacksonville's probably the place you want to go? Well, I think that they have, like, the youngest roster in the NFL right now. They have a ton of picks, and I think that they have a ton of salary cap space, too. So you have a lot of room to really build this franchise into your own vision and mold. Now, whether Shotcom lets you do that, that's up to them. 
And, and have they hired a GM? I mean, they fired their GM. So they so- fired their GM. Um, they still have Doug Marone is still the head coach. Um, and I think Doug Marone is actually former Coast Guard uh, football coach. Um, I think that he's done a pretty good job there with the talent. I mean, as much as you can. Um, the team is playing hard. I think we, you can. I think it's obvious on Sundays and sometimes Saturdays too, that you could tell a head coach has lost his team. Mm-hmm. They're not playing hard. They're not finishing tackles. They're not running the ball. They're not doing all the little things. I, I think Jacksonville's yeah. still doing that. So I, I think that they're in a pretty good situation going forward once you get that pick or once you get whoever the quarterback is available. Yeah, people talking them sort of the Miami Dolphins of last year. People saw the Dolphins not winning a lot of games, but mm-hmm. they were a tough out. They certainly got better towards the end of the season. But to Derek's point, finishing tackles, guys playing hard, all of that. So yeah, they they believe in Flores. Flores believes in them. That's a good situation culturally, now, I think. Now, in, now the in question Miami. would be: If you had to pick to be a general manager, do you take Houston or do you take Jacksonville? I would take Houston because you have a proven. I want the quarterback. Quarterback that could be an all-timer. You have a quarterback that that is a difference maker uh, already on your roster. Who's you know what 26, 27? You're also way over the cap and have not a lot of picks <laughs> and a bunch of bad contracts. So that's where yeah. it's tough. But I, you know, I would still say it, it a a pro bowl caliber and i think we all agree deshaun watson is a pro bowl caliber quarterback i would agree is is difficult to find god knows ask the chicago bears uh so i think uh you know i think in that situation it's it's a really good it's a really interesting because you are you interviewing guys what what is more important to you salary cap space uh younger players or and a very unsettled situation at quarterback or an incredibly uh, uh, settled situation, which I think you could probably argue that whoever gets the Houston job should probably get more years on his contract, frankly, because to Derek's point, there's going to be a little more of a, a difficult yeah. rebuild there. Just there like needs to be a there needs to be a reset there with the only one you keep basically is Deshaun Watson, and uh, you go from there. All right, Derek, do you have a shock by any chance? Do you have a lock? I have a lock. Mind? I'm going to say Green Bay. Over right. Philadelphia. I mean, that, right. that's a pretty. It's a big line. What is that? Eight and a half. Okay. Eight, eight and a half. half is eight and a half. Yeah. That's big. I'd take it. Yeah. Okay. Aaron Rodgers is playing some of the best football he's played in years. Um, their defense is playing a lot better, and Carson Wentz mm-hmm. just looks lost. Man, I think that's that's what I was talking about when you look like you lose a team. Yeah. I think that that right now. Wentz is missing throws and missing reads that are somewhat elementary. Yeah. That he shouldn't be doing. Um, so, and there's a bunch of reports. The owner didn't show up to or the president didn't even show up to a game. I think that there's just a ton of dysfunction there. And I think that that's another place that they're going to have to kind of just strip down and rebuild. And I don't know if Peterson's going to be there next year, but I don't know that they're going to bench. You can't bench Carson Wentz for Jalen Hurts. I know they did that with Tua, and I know they do that with other places, but you have so much invested in yeah. Carson Wentz at this point. You can't just do that. No, and and you're also, you know, you're not benching uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick when you bench Carson Wentz. You know, you're best benching a guy who has shown a, a great deal of skill and a guy who's had a great deal of success. I do want to ask you, Derek, and geez, I didn't think I didn't think we'd keep you around for the whole time. I apologize for that. No, thank uh, you for, for staying. Uh, Ron, I got nothing else to do today. So. <laughs> Excellent. Gave him the choice. And Matthew, but our when, show director, 
has insisted on it. So yes, we're keeping yeah. everything. He's, we're keeping work at bay. He's putting your show together right now. This will be your last appearance <laughs> as he will exclusively sign you to doing this other podcast. But I want to ask you about Wentz. As a guy who played quarterback on the collegiate level and understands the position, you know, there's so much debate about what's going on with him. Obviously, the talent around him is part of it. They've they've very they've struggled with injuries. Maybe they're not not the right guys. But is it a case of lost his confidence, like some people think? Is it a case of simply pressing way too hard, which is not uncommon for he is a gunslinger type of a guy? What is it in your mind when you see him? Can I add to that? Or having yeah, no time or having no time. That offensive line has let him down, if you ask me. Yeah, they haven't been good. I think it's I think it's a culmination of things. And I think it really starts. Let's start with with the roster talent, really the injuries. Yeah. And really, we could go all the way back to that. There is this Nick Foles ghost that I think is still hanging over the city of Philadelphia mm-hmm. and that football team is because they looked at Carson once and it says, but you're not the one that won the Super Bowl. So I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Two, I think with the injuries now, you're trying to play Superman every down. Yeah. So you're not going through your reads. You're playing fast. The game is speeding up for you. So then what happens is now it's it's the game feels like it's it's coming right now. You, you lose trust. You start seeing ghosts. You know, right. I talked about well, I'm seeing ghosts. Sam Darnold a couple of years ago. That is a common thing. Mm-hmm that you think that you're seeing something and then you go to the sideline, you look at a tablet, it's nothing like that. <laughs> so then you lose, you lose a little bit of confidence, whether you yeah. lose confidence in your play caller, you lose confidence, in head coach guys around you. And it wears on you too, because whether guys say that they don't, they do, they read press clippings, they hear it on, especially on Twitter and social media, you could try to avoid it as much as you can, but it, in this day and age, it's so unavoidable. Yeah. So you got the weight of the world on you. And then on the field stuff, I mean, it's almost as basic as you have two you have two by two. This is from film. You have two by two versus one high safety. You have the inside guys running vertical. The outside guys run hitches. Well, typically one of versus a one high, you want to pick on the safety and throw the vertical to, I think it was the tight end. It might've been Dallas Goddard. He completely dismissed the, um, the seam route and threw the hitch route into double coverage, and it almost got picked against Seattle. And they're showing the replay, and it's like he's just playing so fast. He, right. He's not seeing the and it's and it happens. You lose your confidence. You kind of need to rebuild it. You fi- need to find ways, whether you go talk to somebody about it. It's almost like being a kicker. Or, really, the best way I could describe it is it, you're a golfer in a funk. Mm. Yeah, and and what you're describing, and when people talk about quarterback play, do you think it's a, a, a product of he's not uh, because it's so sped up, he's not seeing things clearly, or is he just because he knows his time is limited in that pocket? Clearly, as Mark said, is he just making up his mind literally almost before the ball is snapped that I'm going to get it out quick? This hitch route develops more yep. quickly. That's where I'm going with the ball. Yeah, I, like I said, it's it's both, and you see him double and triple clutch sometimes where. Yeah a throw that, you know, would need to be on time or in a rhythm, he's double clutching because he maybe doesn't trust the guy that's on the receiving end of it or the coverage that he's seeing or whatever it might be, a guy getting rerouted in not a normal way. Um, typically, when you're a quarterback, you, you, you understand all your receivers' tells. So what I mean by that is each receiver has a different tell, whether they snap their hips down or it's a hand a hand movement thing or whatever it might be. The one I was actually talking about earlier, who's with the with the Washington football team, 
when we played in high school together, I knew his tell every time that he was going to break. I would just see his hips sink just a tad bit, and I would know that he's breaking right now, and I was able to get the ball out. Building that rapport with guys is so important, especially in in an offense that requires timing and rhythm and all those things. It's so funny because now whenever he's home, he's at whatever we're together in the same hometown or whatever, he'll text me like, hey, let's go throw. And then I'm still throwing the ball because he's still got the same tell. I still know it. So when you have different guys rolling there every week, whether it's off the practice squad, free agent list, it's hard to get that timing on a weekly basis. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm guessing you don't have a shock. Is that true? And that's fine. No shock. That's fine. No shock. We, we, will, uh, we will say goodbye to you right now, Derek. This has been great. Thanks, man. I love the idea of just keeping you on the entire show on, on our fabulous football fun family fantastic fridays yeah. and um this was great breaking down browns titans breaking down rams cardinals and uh bills 49ers as well as the rest of the nfl uh Derek abbott assistant coach at the coach guard academy coach guard academy and former college football quarterback thank you very much buddy say hello to your dad thanks Derek. Thank i hope he's okay out. yeah wake him up I know, he's, I know he's probably busy watching own right now <laughs> he's probably already in bed <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, don't say it like it's a pejorative, brother. Nothing like yeah. a good nap for men yeah. our age. No doubt. Thank Thanks, you, Brian. Thanks. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it, buddy. Yeah, right. you know, and you wonder, I just want to say this to wrap up the Carson Wentz thing. Our good friend Lori Ann Keel, uh, uh, who worked with us at the ESPN Club, her husband's Rick Ann Keel, and famously a, a successful major league pitcher, and then just it went away. And right. he was able to reinvent himself as a position player, and it's a remarkable story. And so, it is. But you just look at Carson Wentz, and he just seems like such a quality guy on so many levels, and certainly the year they won the Super Bowl, he was playing at a Pro Bowl level, and they were favorites to get there before he went down. And when he did, amazing job uh, by uh, Nick Foles coming in. But I think everybody thought, well, Wentz had been there, they you know, they probably still would have had that success. You just hope that this isn't just crept so far into his head that he can't get out of it. And does he need a new – will he need a new city? Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Now I'm struggling right now. We're at 57 minutes in the show. Uh huh. A large part of me says we should just wrap it up. We had a great show. I could, okay. I could throw out the little trivia baseball question that I had, but not that interesting. And uh, <laughs> we need to get into a habit of doing a show about this time, 57, 58, 59 minutes, because when you officially become the voice of the Toronto Raptors, will not be the voice of the Toronto Raptors. You will need to leave for Tampa roughly around four o'clock. So uh, unless we have a completely different time to do our show, and right. that's something we can talk about, um, we're going to have to wrap this up in an hour. So what is your thought? Should I throw the trivia question or start, should I save it for another day? Uh, I, I mean, would save it for another day. We're at I would save minutes. it. I would save it for another day because I had a question completely off the sports milieu and Jeff may be more interested in it than I am, but I was uh, two things came across um, my my ears and my eyes today, and one of them was uh, I had my uh, phone on shuffle music, and I was doing some stuff, and the Wilson Pickett version of Hey Jude that Dwayne Allman plays slide guitar on, and many people consider it the first Southern rock song because what he did with the end of that song sounded very Allman Brothers, obviously. And then um, I was watching a little bit of the documentary on Eric Clapton, and it was around the Layla and Assorted Love Songs period for Derek and the Dominoes, which uh, Dwayne Allman played on. And it got me thinking about live albums. And what is your favorite live album? 
And what do you think is the best live album? Because for me, those are two different things. My favorite is my favorite for many reasons, but I don't think it is the best live album. In fact, all evidence suggests that it's not even that live. Um, but I just was wondering. Live, right? Jeff, no, 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 no. Uh, Jeff is a fine musician for people who don't know. And Mark and I have three times been uh, voted tied for the worst bass player not to have had a limb amputated in North America. So my question to you first, Jeff, what is your do you have do you have favorite live albums and do you, is your favorite different from the one you think is the best? Well, I, I, if I, if I was put on the spot, I didn't have time to think about it. I would have to go to the one I've listened to the most, most, which is the song remains the same, which does that count as a live album? Yeah, sure. Never release it as an album, but I mean, I had the, the version. No, it is released. It, it, it is an album. It, it is an album. Song remains the same. So yeah, that, that would count. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's very, very good. They were on fire at that point. In time. Yeah. Many people will argue that they were even much better live than that album came out, that it was hard to capture them live, but that's, I enjoy that one a great deal. No I, doubt yeah. about it. I, the, the best album live, uh, I don't know, man, that's, that's hard to say. I feel like it might be that Dave Matthews at Tim and Tim Reynolds at Luther College album that's the best album because it it literally sounds like a studio album, uh -huh. but it's a live show. It's ridiculously good. I agree. That's a terrific one, Mark. I think I know what your favorite is. I well, mean, my, well, my favorite. And I think the best that I and I, you know, again, I'm not as well versed as the two of you with live albums, but that last side. It's a it's a two album set for Love You Live, and the last side at the. Um, Macumbo, the El Macumbo, and it's El actually El the third side on the albums. It's the third side. You get the is first. It? Yep, it is. If you get the album, it's side three, oddly, and then they throw in the wrap up of the, you know, the big fireworks numbers for the last. So album. it is El Macumbo. It's in Toronto. It's 1977, I believe. Keith Richards and has been busted for heroin. He has, and um, it is a small club, yep. which I think helps it tremendously. Yeah. And uh, they are as tight as I've ever heard them uh, live or on in the studio. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point, John, a lot of that was done after the fact. I think that's what a lot of almost all realize. live albums have a lot of fixes. It's hard. And, you know, Jeff's musician who's played a live hard. To keep your guitar in tune for song after song after song after song, particularly back when we're talking when you didn't have quite the uh, the equipment that made that an easier thing to do. So it's all covers. It's all covers. It's five yeah. covers. It's blues, blues, blues. And then it ends with uh, Chuck Berry round and around. And it is uh, it is to me the most impressive live album, the most happy, fun. You are in that room. You are in that room with, I don't know, I don't 80 other people, maybe 85 yeah. other people. But the question was album period. And the rest of Love You Live is is it's pretty mediocre at i least. would agree is mediocre but i would say if i could just like i say the second uh the second side of some girls could be the best side of rock and roll ever in a, you know those five songs in a row i'm gonna just stick with that john i'm gonna stick with because i would say probably uh get your yaya's out is better a better album. album better album than love you live yeah. for sure yeah still life is solid and mm. um not so and but but I love song remains the same as well. To me, that that captures them at their essence. You know, they are 
they are as Led Zeppelin as anyone else is ever at that point in time. In Tightest pants, longest hair. I mean, it was Led Zeppelin. At, loudest at that for a while, they were the loudest. There's actually uh, I, uh, how uh, how the West was won uh, quadruple D uh, CD, I believe, that is uh, a lot of live performances by Zeppelin uh, prior to that, even earlier, starting in 69 and moving forward, uh, which I actually think those versions of those songs uh, are better than the ones on uh, on a song remains same. So check that out. Well, my favorite uh, and for people who know me, no surprise is Kiss Alive, though. Very little of that album. Bob Ezrin, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Eddie Kramer, who also produced Led Zeppelin, who produced that fixed a lot of that in the studio i think the, the drums were still live a lot of the vocals but everything else was sort of a fix but i brought all of this up because i think the allman brothers live at the fillmore east is the best live album as far as just i put it on and i am me i'm amazed what year is that johnny uh i believe that's 71. 70 or 71 i think um yeah, yeah, 70, yeah. 71. I think that uh, to me is uh because i i i'm the music music Musicmanship is that is that the word musicianship? Excuse me. Musicianship um, is a remarkable. The Allman Brothers as individual musicians and Greg no, Allman's voice yeah, were just remarkable. And uh, yeah. and then the energy to be able to keep those long jams in my mind from seeming you know long jams can get tedious. Let's just be honest, even for musicians. Uh, but they keep that stuff uh, firing on all cylinders, and it's 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 pretty damn good. And the last waltz is up there as well. The funny thing about long jams is they belong on live albums. Yeah, That's, yeah, you gotta that, have some of that. You go see when you go see a band live. I'm a, the Black Crows and Led Zeppelin are my two favorite bands. Love the Black Crows and the Black Crows live will play the uh, a five minute song for twenty minutes, and you won't even notice because yeah. it's so awesome the jams they do. So, uh, you know, I also was thinking I, I had more chance to think, but, you know, one of my favorite live albums, too, was Allison Krauss and Union Station Live. And I, I I'm not even a fan of Allison Krauss. I don't own another Allison Krauss <laughs> album, but that album is phenomenal. Those guys that play with her. It's, oh, that, it's incredible. They're 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 unbelievable. Yeah. And I love uh, I, I like bluegrass anyway. And I think her voice is heavenly. Yeah, That's incredible. a good one. And that Black Crow's Jimmy Page live album um, is one well. of my the version of 10 Years Gone on there and Custard Pie. I may like better than the versions. That you you want to know you want to know what's crazy about that is that that, of course, I immediately bought that because two worlds coming together that I love. My favorite song on that album is Oh Well. Oh, yeah, they do a great version of Oh Well on that. Great Steve uh, Gorman, who's the drummer for the Crows, has a great book. I highly recommend you read it. Uh, he will talk to you about uh, uh, why they didn't continue to play with Jimmy Page, who wanted to continue playing with them. And everybody in the band, sons, one guy, wanted to keep playing with Jimmy Page. Was it Rich? Um, it was. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. It Rich. was. He, Jimmy Page wanted to write songs with him. He's like, I've got some riffs, man. Do you want to? I don't need. <laughs> Those two guys. brothers. I'm telling you, for people who don't know, look into the Robinson brothers they and are, read Steve Gorman's book. Enemies. They are their own worst oh. enemies. It's insanity. Chris Robinson will admit it. We blew every big gig we ever we ever had to play they got to open for zz top and it was sponsored by like miller beer and all they did was rail about the fact that it that said miller beer presents you know they didn't present the black crows oh my god yes you gotta you know at some point chris robinson rich robinson i you really gotta play the game 
to get that generational money and then you can be colorful i i really do well they lucked out because they they signed that huge contract yeah. in the beginning and then they were able to get out of it so yep. they got all the money and they did not have to continue making albums for uh for was it uh what's the what's the name of the uh, record company they signed with oh uh, they were weren't they with um Arista? Um, no. No, no 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 it was originally they were with rick rubens yeah rick rubens definitely mca no, it wasn't deaf. Wasn't it deaf American or something it, that it was? Was it? I thought it, it was. It, it was a big. It was a big record company. They signed a contract on a napkin, and they yeah. went to they went to court. Some great stories out of that because they showed up dressed like themselves, and Rich Robinson was the worst. <laughs> and the judge said, "Don't come into my court dressed like that anymore." So he wore an Armani, a different Armani suit, to every single. <laughs> day of court i think seven more days of court after that he went on a different armani suit because they had all of that money and uh you know what the with the black crows though i think the fact that those two brothers can't seem to get along is why the music is so great oh absolutely they, all of the that. drama around it when you look into some of the greatest albums of all time that's when the drama was happening rumors inside that band yeah paul mccartney said that about the white album he said we the were album so much stress too. during the white album he said we put together a masterpiece and he said but frankly i don't know if it was worth it because of all the crap that we were going through so that's a good one should also mention to mark ferrera myself and uh and our uh our former friend riley claremont <laughs> He's moving away and he won't even see us before no, he's we leaving. Won't, we won't he, never, he, he, he will he, never see him again. He shan't uh, be spoke of again. We saw them at the uh, House of Blues over in uh, Lake Winnipeg, and it's still one of the yeah. three or four best the rock Black and roll shows. Yeah, and yeah. I've seen well, them about five there. or six times. I was there, yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure that, you were. I'm that's sure the best pro show, and I've seen them about 17 times. I've seen them about five times, and that is by far the best show that I that saw in great. that little thing. And they were hot. That I night. saw them at the university of Florida's basketball stadium, which is a the terrible Odo. place to see a show. Yeah. But it was, it was still good. A little loud. Seen a lot of shows there. You're right. Not a great, not a great venue, but boy, check, check, check them out in a club and they will blow you away. Uh, all right. That was interesting. That, I, I, right. I, I, that, will, that came up that to me. Fun. Live like album that. people. I like that. I like that bringing that up. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, thank you very much. That's very, very interesting. And thank you to Derek who made our show. Uh, well, worthwhile. Viable. Let's put it that way. Viable in our viable, viable, worthwhile show on a fantastic, fun football Friday for John Pelkey and Jeff Taylor. I'm Mark Ferreira. Have a great weekend. Everyone stay safe. We're having the, we're in the worst of this thing that we really are. I mean, these numbers are worth our, this is a 9-11 every single day, and this was much worse than March, much worse than April. Just be careful out there, people. And, and yeah, just, just, just take precautions. If you need to be out there, social distance, wear a mask, wash your hands. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. Just be safe. We love you all. See you Monday.